it kind of goes along my um, line of thought to where, you know, we are uh, we have to ask the gatekeepers to give us the ability to do things like that. And I think one of the reasons why uh, we have to um, is because we are as black people, we are spread out across the country, all in these little pockets. Mm -hmm. Um, There is a thought, there is a ideal out there that what if we wasn't so spread out? You're listening to the Snob OS podcast, the podcast for Apple snobs. Yo, this is Terrence Gaines, a.k.a. Brother Tech. And this is Nika Monford, a.k.a. Tech Savvy Diva. And you're listening to and are watching the Snob OS show, the show for Apple snobs, where we talk all things Apple and then some. We want to welcome you to episode 114 of the Snob OS show. And we're actually going to get right into it. Uh, the first subject segment is the lowdown where we talk all things Apple. And for our first uh, story, we're going to talk about Apple being back on top as the number one smartphone maker. So, you know, Apple for the past couple years, um, Apple and Samsung have been back and forth as the number one smartphone seller. You know, uh, if you are an Android user, most pretty most of your devices are going to be from Samsung. Of course, mm-hmm. there's HTC, there's Huawei, there's all of these other smaller um, f- smartphone manufacturers. You know, uh, OnePlus is a popular one, but you're rocking Samsung if you're an Android user. And, you know, Apple and Samsung have been back and forth. But the last time Apple has been on top of Samsung was 2016. So 2016 on to recently, Samsung has been the number one spot. But according to new research from Gardner, it indicates that the iPhone 12 helped Apple sell more than 80 million units in quarter four 2020, making it the world's biggest smartphone vendor. Now, of course, we don't know how long that's going to last because, again, like I said, Apple and Samsung have always kind of traded spots, you know, every so on. Um, Serena and Venus. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so, you know, that's a nice little uh, nice little, you know, reward for Apple and the iPhone 12. That kind of shows that, you know, Apple did something right with the iPhone 12. Uh, In addition to that, it kind of notes in the story that Huawei saw a sharp decline in sales of 41 percent during the quarter, falling behind uh, Zomni, Zomni, Zowie. I'm not saying that right. And Oppo as the fifth largest handset maker. And I think don't quote me on this, you know, do your own research. Um, But I think maybe the reason why Huawei kind of dropped down was because Trump and his administration claimed that Huawei was a, you know, they halted the sales of Huawei handsets in America because, of course, Huawei is uh, made in China. You know, we've had our back and forth relationships with China and it was claimed or deemed to be a security threat that uh, American users 
you know, were using Huawei, you know, products when they have a connection to China. The same issue that the Trump administration had with um, TikTok and some of these other apps that are made in China. So maybe, you know, um, the American administration, you know, Trump administration, you know, uh, Huawei taking a ding. Maybe that contributed to Apple's rise. Of course, you know, we don't want to attribute it to that. We want to attribute it to the iPhone 12 sales. But, you know, maybe there may be something there. So I just wanted to uh, put that out there. The Apple's back on top. Who knows how long that'll last. Uh, But from now, right now, you know, Apple and the iPhone 12 specifically are doing pretty good, which, again, I hope that means that the stock is going to go back up soon, because right now (laughs) Apple stock is kind of teetering in the middle you know, after they reported their earnings, it kind of dropped down a little bit. So I'm hoping this new news, you know, will fix it back up, get, get it back up. So I can get my, so I can retire early. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like the 5g finally being, you know, on iPhone devices is probably what really um, sealed it for folks. Mm-hmm. Because even though I think the, the new, um, OS, OS 14, iOS 14, mm-hmm. um, had a lot to do with that. Um, I think probably when you look at it as a whole and, you know, take the the, the face value of it, um, the 5G, which was the big thing that they were, you know, selling and, and touting on the iPhone 12 was probably what, what really did it. Okay. All right. So, all right, let's move on to the next story. Um, if you are out there and you have purchased a... Uh, M1 Mac, the Apple Silicon with a new chip, or if you've got an Intel uh, Mac MacBook, which uh, most of us probably already have, there is a uh, malware named Silver Sparrow that is targeting both Intel and N1 Macs. Um, researchers over at Red Canary, a security operations firm, uh, discovered and named it Silver Sparrow and as of now has been detected in 153 com- countries with a higher number of cases in the U.S., Canada, U.K., Germany and France. Uh, Red Canary uh, explained how it's been keeping an eye on the malware for over a week. Um, I haven't been able to find exactly what it does. Let me see if I can uh, look through this story and see. But um, uh, it has no evidence of yet a harmful payload. It appears security types can't quite pinpoint the malware's motives. So just, hmm, I guess, that's even scarier than no one. Exactly. I was going to say <laughs> the fact that, you know, it brings relief to know, OK, well, this is what's happening. So let's work on a solution. But the fact that they don't know what it's about to do or going to do or what the potential, you know, it's kind of got people freaked out. Um, so and it doesn't look like I'm looking through the article. It doesn't look like they can there's a way to tell if you've been infected or not. Right. Right. But I think maybe some of the um, worry is the fact that this has affected the M one max. You know, you, you would think that Apple creating its own chip, you know, on top of all of the security, you know, T two security chip that Apple is already employing in these new Macs. It is kind of surprising that, this new technology was, you know, uh, uh, attacked so soon, you know, you would think Mm -hmm. it would take, you know, hackers or whomever that created this malware, you would think it would take them, you know, half a month, you know, half, you know, six months 
you know, to almost a year before they can crack into uh, brand new technology, specifically from Apple, which is so concerned about security and data. You know, the fact that they were able to um, put this malware on M1 chips, you know, within just what what the M1 was announced in November or October. Mm-hmm. And that's not even, you know, it hasn't even been four or five months yet. You know, there are. But I think also to keep in mind, too, you know, these hackers can get the developer bill. You remember they sent out uh, all yeah, the, yeah. True, true, the true. devices true, for true. people to build their yeah. you know, apps on. I mean, anybody, they could have easily signed yeah. up for that program and got a couple in. Instead of working on, you know, making their their apps compatible, they mm-hmm. could have been doing some malicious type activities. Okay, yeah, that makes, makes sense. So just Apple's recent statement, uh, Apple has confirmed to Mashable, the story that we're, uh, the the uh, blog that we're reading this from uh, confirmed to Mashable, Mashable that after discovering the malware, it's since retracted the certificates of the developer accounts used mm-hmm. to sign the packages. So no yep. new Macs are prevented from being infected. So that leads to what you were just saying that they use developer accounts to mm-hmm. to uh, uh, places malware. Just slip it in there, right? So you know that's been you know about a, almost a year mm-hmm. that the you know um, developer uh, version of the M1 devices went out. So they sounds like they've had some time to do this, and you I would have think that they would have uh, hid their they're in their access versus putting on some developer accounts, but maybe they just wanted to try. Yeah. Maybe they just wanted to see if it, or just want to see, just see if it will work. You know, it's like, all right, what's the lowest barrier of entry. All right. We've got the developer accounts. Let's just use those and see if we can get in there. As long as they can't trace it back to us, we're not going to do anything, you know, potentially we just want to see if we can get in and it looks like they succeeded. Yeah. You could be onto something. This this mer- this silver sparrow could not really do anything. It was mm-hmm. just a test run, and now they know they can get in. Mm-hmm. They can actually, you know, do something malicious or follow through with the next step in their plan, or you know, whatever it is. But yeah, that could you might be on something there. That mm-hmm. could definitely be it. All right, all right. So uh, that was pretty much it for uh, from what I could glean from the news as it relates to Apple. There were a couple other stories about you know. Uh, uh, renders of the iPhone 13. Uh, there was some more talk about Apple Glass, but nothing substantiated, all kind of rumor stuff. So I kind of left those alone. So we'll, we'll all say that. We'll just move on to second string where we talk all things tech in general. Again, kind of a slow moving tech scene, you know, s- slow s- tech stories because, you know, everybody's focused on, you know, COVID, everybody's focused on, you know, NASA landing at uh, Mars rover. We'll talk about a little bit later, but something I did find that was kind of interesting in tech news is um, developers or creators. It's just a concept right now, but they have created a, a ring that you can put on like an actual, you know, ring that you can, that you can actually uh, flip a switch and it kind of hides you from anybody, anything tracking your data. Basically, you know, um, it kind of connects to your smartphone. Uh, you can kind of go in to the settings and kind of customize and tweak, you know, how you want it tracked. Do you want your location tracked? Do you want um, um, any sort of health data being tracked? 
you know, do you want advertisers to track you? You can kind of go through and make these settings. But then once you've got those settings tweaked and customized, you can actually put the ring on. So if you're at a party or at a major event, I hope you're not <laughs> via this whole COVID thing. But you if you are and you are concerned about people tracking your location, you know, advertisers tracking you to, you know, it's almost kind of. Uh, forward thinking. So you think about um, the minority report with the, the movie minority report where Tom Cruise is walking through the building and all the advertisers are jumping in his face. You know, they can read his eyes and see, OK, he's this person. He's bought these things. This, you know, so let's put all these ads. Right. We haven't got there yet. But this ring is almost like thinking ahead, thinking, OK, this stuff is coming to where they're going to be able to track my location. And based on where I am, uh, where I am in proximity to things, we're going to serve him these ads. And they're either going to pop up on a billboard or pop up in augmented reality or pop up on your phone. You know, this ring, if it ever comes to that, you can actually come in and got, if you notice that advertisers are tracking you around, you can actually flip a switch on this ring and it'll cut off all that technology. So I thought that was pretty cool that you're actually kind to think ahead. And um, because we know that, you know, we're being more and more bombarded with data requests and privacy requests, you know, and companies like Apple, for example, are trying to answer the call to make sure that their users at the very least are saying, hey, you know, you can trust that we're not selling your data, whatever, whatever. You know, it's just the fact that, you know, they're actually forward thinking and saying, hey, this is coming. So let's try something and see if we can make people feel more comfortable about that. Right. Yep. yep. So, uh, yeah, that's all I want to put about that. I thought that was, you know, pretty cool. Um, let's move on to the next story. Like I mentioned, you know, I think everybody, myself included, you know, I've had some uh, <laughs> some doubts. <laughs> I ain't going <laughs> to put it out there because I don't want people to think I'm crazy. But let's just say, you know, me and space travel and space exploration, that's I'm not your guy for that. But I can say that, you know, I was pretty um, surprisingly uh, interested in NASA actually landing their Mars, their Perseverance rover uh, safely without any sort of, you know, hiccups or catastrophes. They landed their uh, Perseverance rover on Mars and more importantly, you know, well, not more importantly, more interesting was now NASA starting to get back a lot of the video and images and sounds. Mm -hmm. And I'm surprisingly <laughs> been checking Twitter and actually looking around and actually sitting on YouTube, checking out the images, right? Looking at videos. I'm like, huh, this is, you know, pretty interesting, you know, cause like I said, you know, I've never, I'm not a space dude you know, at all, you know, but I thought it was pretty interesting to see, you know, uh, in clarity, you know, cause some of these images are pretty high resolution, yeah, pretty you know? Yeah. So yeah. let me, I'm going to actually go and uh, see if I can show some of these images. Yeah. Let me see if I can find a couple of them. Let's see if we can put these on here. We're going to do this live. So for people who are actually listening, <laughs> you just have to imagine that I am showing you images of some of the uh, pictures from the Perseverance rover that just landed on Mars as of uh, early last week or earlier this year, uh, earlier this week. I can't remember. So let's see, February 24th, 2021. So these are more. Um, 
the the sound just came in i think today yeah the okay. audio from the the say but um so this yeah, yeah go ahead no, I was just going to say, you know, folks can click the links in the show notes who are listening and, yeah, and follow right, along. <laughs> right, right. So, but for those who are actually watching, I've put on screen uh, just some of the images. You know, it looks pretty clear. You know, my impressions of Mars, it was always cloudy, you know, a whole bunch of storms. Yeah, 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 yeah. It looks pretty clear. You know, you've got pictures of ridges. You can see off in the distance there are some uh, mountain or hill ranges um this particular picture i'm looking at right now this shows the rim of the jezero crater as seen in the first 360 degree panorama taken by the mast camzy instrument aboard nasa's perseverance mars rover so you know just i just thought that was interesting (laughs) personally from a personal standpoint because i didn't think i'd actually care (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I mean, but it really is. Honestly, it is. I'm a space person. Mm-hmm. If I could go to space, I would. Oh, really? Uh, yes. Okay. In a heartbeat. Um, but I think that's just my adventure nature side. I'm a extreme. I like activities like that. But okay. um, yeah, uh, it's it's I've been I've been following it as well. And just seeing the the capability, I think Mars is 127 million light years away or you know some crazy number yeah and just to see that we can land a rover a robot essentially mm-hmm. that far away we can get sound mm-hmm. we can get images and i don't know if in this round if they're doing soil samples or not but i think in a previous iteration they maybe have gotten soil samples or something mm-hmm. but it's just the fact that we have the technology that can do this on one hand is you know is mind-blowing and it's amazing and at the same time it's like we can't do some of the most basic stuff (laughs) (laughs) here on earth but i mean putting it in perspective you know the amount of money that goes into the space program and the folks who work at the space program of course they're very brilliant people they have one focus in mind and they are putting all of their you know, efforts towards that, you know, as related to some of the social issues or whatever that we have. But I just think that when you look at the the money that, you know, the space program has mm-hmm. as compared to maybe some of the other areas of, of government, mm-hmm. what they're able to do with the, I won't say limited resources, mm-hmm. but limited in the thinking of it uh, in respect to, you know, the other slices of the pie in the whole government, you know, will of um, you know, expenditures. It's 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 quite amazing what they are able to accomplish. Yeah, uh, that is a <laughs> another subject for another day for another for podcast. Another <laughs> <laughs> but you know, uh, not the rain on the parade. But it's just nice to see that they are actually putting. I guess, like you said, you know, putting the money, all the money, uh, to good use. So basically, mm-hmm. what again, when I'm showing on the. Uh, video version of the podcast i'm actually showing the video of the mars rover actually landing on the uh, mars surface so it's pretty like i said and they actually show you know multi-camera angles you know they show uh what the rover is looking at uh on the ground they show you know what uh the rovers the the um the landing uh i don't know it's what like you call a first it. person, it's like a first person view if you were actually 
controlling the rover. Right, right. And they actually show, you know, pictures of the people celebrating from when they actually it actually touched down. So it was pretty cool. So all that to yeah. say, you know, I was surprisingly invested <laughs> into yeah. the Mars rover. So I just thought I was thought that was pretty cool. All right. So again, like I said, the next story we'll get into is uh TikTok. Uh like I mentioned, you know, in the pre-show, uh companies like uh TikTok have been under the pressure of, you know, the American government because it is a an app or a service that uh, originated or is has ties to China. Um and most recently, they have started to uh maybe show some goodwill and they are uh starting to crack down on the amount of fake news that has been uh, shared or distributed on their platform. So according to TikTok, the company removed more than 340,000 videos in the U.S. in the U.S. during the second half of 2020 from for spreading election misinformation, disinformation or manipulated media. During that same period, TikTok also removed over 50,000 videos promoting misinformation about COVID-19. Uh, it should be noted that TikTok made the decision to ban content promoting the right wing QAnon conspiracy theory during the same time frame covered by this transparency report. So uh, with one fell swoop, it looks like by getting rid of a lot of the QAnon conspiracy accounts or any sort of content related tagged or associated with QAnon, it looks like that was the lion's share of all of these videos spreading information about, um, you know, the presidential election uh, and COVID-19. So uh, in addition to uh, to the removed content, TikTok also deleted 1,750,000 accounts for quote unquote automation during the same time period as the United uh, U.S. election. The company maintains that it was unclear if any of these accounts were being used to boost political information, but viewed it as important to remove these automated accounts at the same time. So I'm assuming automated means these accounts were created and just based on the way they were posting, sharing, liking, commenting, maybe it was apparent that there, there wasn't a real person behind like the ham. Yeah, like a bot. bot. Ba- basically, yeah. basically those basically that's what it was. Bot accounts that were just there to you know, created in, in by the dozens by people looking to share, spread this misinformation that they have removed. Um, in all, TikTok says it removed more than 89 million videos globally during the second half of 2020 for violating the platform's community guidelines or terms of service. Nearly 12 million of those videos were posted by users in the states. So, you know, surprisingly, it wasn't you know, Russia or Mm -hmm. China or some other, you know, offsite entity. It was United States users, you know, whether, you know, but are we surprised? (laughs) I guess, I guess not. Uh, Seeming as since a lot of people get their information off the internet and not just off the internet, they get it off of social media, which social media their primary way of running their business is user generated content. And we've already talked about the fact that they really don't know how to moderate that. It's almost damn near impossible to moderate millions and millions and millions of posts, comments, shares, videos on social media. So, 
you know, these companies, you know, even though they're starting to kind of crack down on some of this stuff, we talked to, you know, we've talked about at length, mm-hmm. Twitter banning Donald Trump, Facebook cutting into a lot of the, you know, political information, you know, they're starting to do it, but, you know, just from this, from this, you know, the quotes and the statistics that I read from this TikTok video, just with TikTok, they removed over 89 million, you know, wow. videos, user generated video. So all that to say, you know, these uh, social media companies, these internet companies, these, all of these brands and platforms that utilize user generated content as their main way of uh, uh, operating, you know, something's going to have to change because this stuff is not slowing down because people, their main source of information is via social media nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yep. So at least they're, you know, taking a stab at it. And I think when we talked about it before, that was what we were kind of, you know, talking about, like, what approach would they take to this? Would they just go, would they start now and start cleaning things up? Would mm-hmm. they go back in the future? How will they continue to monitor it? So, so yeah, it's, it's a lot in, in where we are right now in this whole social media game, it mm-hmm. just changes literally, you know, day by day, you know, you cut one hand off and another one grows. So it's, you know, I, I think they're probably taking the best approach that they possibly can with, with where we are. Yeah. Um, I honestly just think they, this Pandora's box, they're not going to be able to get it closed. Only where they're going to get it closed is if they start charging people subscriptions to utilize these platforms. And my speculation is if I have to pay to use Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or whatever, I'm going to be more cognizant about what I share, about what I read, about what I you know discuss, because my money is tied to it. It's nothing for somebody to go on these free platforms and just share whatever they want to share because, you know, outside of, you know, not having access to it, there's really no repercussion unless Mm -hmm. they can specifically, specifically, specifically tie you to you saying something or you sharing something. And that directly leads to a specific act, which again, like I said, they weren't able to get Trump on it. You know, they, they, they impeached him, but that was just like a, Hey, we saw you. We saw what you did. <laughs> that really wasn't chuckle, hate. Chuckle, chuckle. Right. That really wasn't a, you said this thing, it led to this thing. Now you're going to jail, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be, you know, an, an impossible task, especially with all this information out there. Now they're trying it with the, you know, the people who stormed the Capitol, but you know, um, you know, just me, me, be, me being a cynic. I don't think anybody's going to see any hard, hard, hard time, as a result of that, you know, even when you can actually see them committing a crime. And that's, for, again, for reasons that another day, another topic, you know, another, yeah, another think, podcast. I, I, yeah, I think with that, if you think about it, I think maybe 300 or so people have been arrested mm-hmm. and charged. And, you know, some of the Capitol Police officers involved have been suspended or mm-hmm. or fired. But when you look at the grand scheme of how many people were there, the ones that they've arrested is just a tiny, tiny fraction mm-hmm. of that number. Right. And I think probably the only people who will get some actual severe consequences are the ones that can actually tie to the actual murder mm-hmm. or harm. To, destruction you know, of property. Police, you know, yeah, up to those right. police officers. Mm-hmm. I, I don't 
wouldn't necessarily say destruction of property because because we saw what happened with the guy who took um, the lectern. Mm-hmm. I think he was able to go home on like bail or something, and right. the girl who stole Nancy Pelosi's computer, she was able to go home mm-hmm. even though she was still doing some shady stuff and you know not following the rules, and they still you know said smack you on the hand and then let you go home. So I think probably the only real consequences that we may see are, you know, from the folks who actually caused bodily harm to some of those police officers. But then that's still not guaranteed because they're still, it seems they're protecting the, the rioters. Right. And that's not, again, going back to the story that has nothing to do with the people who are just spreading information. You know, of course the FBI, you know, who knows what the chain of command from, you know, this stuff being spread on the Internet from October on until January something to where, you know, uh, the FBI passed it along to, you know, all that. So yeah. uh, all that to say, you know, um, like you said, Pandora's box is open. Yeah. Getting it back closed and getting everything back in it is probably not very likely. Yeah, this is the new normal. So hopefully they do it do what they can, uh, do what's best, but also, you know, uh, that human data, that human, you know, a user generated content is what they use to make money. So the less, <laughs> the more of it, the more for them to make off of it. So, you know, that comes with a lot of good and it comes with a lot of bad. Yes, it does. <laughs> all right. All right. So we're moving on to the next seg- segment. This is for the culture and for the month of, February, uh, Nika has done an excellent job of making us aware of, you know, any, you know, people we need to be checking for uh, in the tech industry while black. So I'll let her go ahead and talk about a couple of people that, you know, I know personally. So I just want to, you know, have her go over some of these people, you know, who are making waves in the tech industry. All right. In our final entry for Tech and While Black. Black for this Black History Month, we are actually going to highlight a trifecta of people that include Jewel Burke-Solomon, Justin Dawkins, and Barry Givens, also known as the founders and managing partners of Collab Capital. And Collab Capital is an investment fund um, that leverages uh, financial, human, and social capital, and it helps founders build sustainable technology-enabled businesses, mostly Uh, focusing on black founders with um, early uh, stage startups um, by providing capital investments and connecting them with other corporate uh, corporate sponsors and social influencers. And one of the reasons why I wanted to highlight them is because they are leading um, a, a VC based here in Atlanta that is specifically catering to black founders. Now, we know that there are other VCs that you know, are for people of color, are for um, women, are for the LGBT community, are for folks that are um, disabled. Um, but I have I, I wanted to highlight this one because it's specifically, you know, a lot of times we talk about POCs. I personally don't consider myself a POC. I am a black person and there's nothing wrong with calling a black person an actual black person. Um, and you know, POC is person of color. So that runs the, the range of, of non-white people. So uh-huh. you have Asian, uh, Latino, Hispanic, um, South Asian, um, Indian, uh, Indian Middle, e- Middle Eastern, Indian, Middle Eastern. So uh-huh. it, it, it covers the, the range of, of, of the melanin spectrum, but their, um, 
their their group, uh, Collab Capital, is uh, catering specifically to Black founders. So the first uh, founder I guess we'll talk about is Jewel Burke Solomon. Um, she founded Park Pick, uh, which is a visual recognition company, which she actually sold to Amazon um, back in 2016, and she also currently serves as the head of Google Startups here in the U.S. Um, Justin Dawkins is an entrepreneur and a full stack developer, as well as co-founder for um, of Goody Nation, um, which um, helps um, entrepreneurs uh, launch their tech-enabled social impact businesses. And he um, has personally um, helped uh, over 30 entrepreneurs in that space. Um, and finally, um, Barry Givens, who uh, founded uh, a beverage system. I think he is a mechanical engineer. Don't quote me 100% on that. But I know that he does have an engineering background. And he founded, I'm going to say this is Monsignor, um, which raised over $4 million in capital, which he was in turn um, uh, able to license the IP for that. Um, to uh, leading adult beverage dispensary uh, dispenser manufacturer, manufacturer, mm-hmm. and he is also the managing director of uh, Tech Stars Social Impact Accelerator. Okay. So um, I met. Um, I'm a member of the Gathering Spot here in Atlanta, and um, I went to um, one of the events that um, they had, where each of which when they all spoke, and it was very um, informative. It was. Uh, it was. It, it was really great to see what they've been able to accomplish with their fund as it relates to increasing black wealth by um, basically linking, you know, individual founders with corporate sponsors and other influencers and um, different investment partners as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Like I said, me, me and Justin go way back, you know, to back to the days of South by Southwest, you know. Uh, teamed up to do some, you know, early, early, early. This is for, you know, back when people were pitching uh, startups in uh, RVs in Texas during the South by Southwest, which is a big tech innovation music film um, uh, event. I'm not sure how popular it is today. Of course, it's still pretty popular. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. you know, uh, COVID put the kibosh on a lot of those yeah. huge everybody up on top of each other type events. But, you know, yeah. So, you know, I met him back in 2013 and South by Southwest and we all a bunch of us kind of partnered up to try to launch a startup. So that was pretty cool, you know, to see, you know, start from there to actually do a lot. Kind of go full circle. Uh-huh, a lot in the, you know, in the tech space in Atlanta. So, yeah, shout out to them for doing that. You know, these people are age, you know, that goes yeah. back to the thing you were mentioning. You know, this is black history now. This isn't. Yeah. Somebody, you know, who is on the on the opposite end of their career, reflecting on a life that they had and get finally getting their flowers for all the things that they've done. These are people doing stuff now. So that, I think that's pretty cool to leave, you know, for the for the future, I guess, of black. Right. History. And we don't know where I mean, based on what they're doing now and the and the level of work that they're doing now. I mean, who's to say 10, 15, 20 years from now, you know what the possibilities are. And I think that's one of the things that I really wanted to highlight, um, you know, when we talked about black history this month is the, the strides that are being made now with people our age and younger. I mean, even people older, I mean, if you're innovating now, you know, you're laying the groundwork and the foundation 
for you know your kids, Terrence, and you know you know my nieces and nephews to be talking about these folks. How we you know talk about you mm-hmm. know, the adventure um, of the super soaker and yeah yeah, yeah, yeah right how we talk <laughs> about and how we revere them and mm-hmm. then just to see that a lot of them are really not just getting started but they still have more road of them ahead mm-hmm. so it's 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 really great and uh and I just think that you know what a lot of these um, funds that are catering to. Um, black people and other POCs and women and 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 other underrepresented groups is is truly um, is truly pushing the needle forward. And if you um, are one of our Patreon supporters and you heard our um, pre-show conversation, you can see how this kind of ties back to that conversation that mm-hmm. we had. No, so. absolutely. All right, all right. So moving on, um, uh, Nika also found a story about a scientist looking to uh, turn Jackson, Mississippi into a tech hub. You know, I think the popular place, you know, we mentioned just in the previous story, you know, a lot of uh, tech startups in the South is originating in Atlanta, but uh, Georgia is not the only place that uh, is looking to turn itself into a tech hub. So it looks like uh, scientists trying to get Max in Jackson, Mississippi. So I'll let you share a little bit more about that story. Right. So um, I saw this story pop up on my Twitter feed. Was it yesterday or either the day before? And so Nashley uh, Cephas, um, she's an AI uh, researcher for Amazon, a black AI researcher. Um, and she's based, uh, of course, here in Atlanta, um, where, you know, her work is, mm-hmm. um, but she's from Jackson, Mississippi. She has an undergraduate degree in electrical engineering. She got a master's and a PhD from Georgia Tech um, in computer engineering. And she was actually kind of tying back to the the uh, Teching While Black, she was the CTO of PartPick, which was the company that um, Jewel Burke Solomon um, sold to Amazon. Um, But what she's been able to do is um, create a tech, that her goal is to create a tech hub out of uh, 12 abandoned acres in um, Jackson, Mississippi, the Mm -hmm. heart of downtown Jackson, Mississippi, where she's from. And the the story it's it's a great read. We'll definitely include it in the show notes, and I would definitely you know suggest that everybody take a look at it because her path to this wasn't something that she'd even planned for. It was something that uh, arose out of an incubator that she started um, back in 2016 called the Bean Path, mm-hmm. which um, was helping. It's a nonprofit that was helping uh, local businesses in Jackson, Mississippi, you know, with their techniques for their companies. So it, it, it kind of started there, I think, based on the article, that was the thought process. And then, you know, just looking at her community, she saw that, you know, in Jackson, there was all this abandoned space. Uh-huh. And then she had the idea to to transform that into um, into a tech hub. And of course, we we've talked about it before and we'll, I'm sure, talk about it again the the level of effort that it takes for for black people to get investors so i think the total space is like 500,000 uh, square feet of workspace and the goal is to turn this into a mixed space where you have uh, an electronics lab a photography uh, studio apartments um, a space where artisans can make things restaurants 
grocery store, you know, apartments. So you can have a place where you can truly live and work and play. Um, and she talked about further in the article how um, she took, I think, $500,000 of her own money to um, get this started and was able to crowdfund and family raise the remaining amount. And I want to say, I'm trying to find it specifically in the article, I think she said three banks in Jackson, Mississippi, um, turned her down and she was able to just recently find um, a uh, some uh, a bank to take it. Yeah, here it is. Um, she put up five hundred thousand dollars of her own savings to get the deal done mm-hmm. and raise one hundred fifty thousand in a friends and family round. And um, it says she plans to further the project with private um, investments, crowdfunding rounds, grants, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is, she was just now able to secure um, funding for the space. So that's, I guess, the 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 foundation, making sure that you own the space, but now building it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that sh- this is very ambitious and, you know, the audacity that she has to, you know, take this on and, and move forward with this. I just think it's just fantastic. And it takes a lot of stamina and strength and foresight to take something like this on all while still having, you know, your, corporate, you know, interests and, you know, she has her nonprofit. So I just think if we can start to build again, tying back to what we talked about, um, in the, in the pre-show, you know, creating environments that specifically are for underrepresented groups for the black community is one of the ways that we can attack some of the issues that we're seeing, Mm -hmm from the gatekeeping and the exclusionary nature of the tech community. And um, definitely, you know, kudos to her for, for you know, having a foresight to, to do this and the will and the willingness to do it because I can only imagine the um, amount of- Roblox. Uh, of roadblocks and challenges and frustrations um, that she's had to get to this point. But, you know, the good thing is she has secured the land deal. So that's a major, you know, hurdle that, that she's accomplished. And I just think, you know, um, looking forward, you know, I think we can expect to see some great things coming out of Jackson, Mississippi with this space and hopefully other, um, uh, you know, black communities around the country will kind of see this and say, you know what, we can put this in our town too, because Jackson isn't, I don't, think it's super huge. I've been to Jackson a few times. It's not, you know, a huge city like in Atlanta or a Charlotte, you know, that has a, a Detroit that has a high, you know, um, black community. Um, but it is on maybe your medium size scale. And, and why not have, why not turn these, these communities into these tech spaces? It, it, it helps everybody. It brings in jobs. It brings in a robust economy and I just think, you know, we could take a, we could all take a lesson from this. Yeah. And it kind of uh, if you build it, they will come. Right. So you kind yep. of mentioned, you know, Jackson, Mississippi doesn't have a it's not a huge city. But the fact of the matter of it is it is a majority black city. Mm-hmm. Um, this kind of goes into, again, <laughs> kind of uh, uh, letting you know that we kind of talked about this in the pre-show. So if you are not a Patreon subscriber, 
I suggest you do so so you can get the lowdown on this uh, information you're missing out on. But it kind of goes along my um, line of thought to where, you know, we are uh, we have to ask the gatekeepers to give us the ability to do things like that. And I think one of the reasons why uh, we have to um, is because we are as black people, we are spread out across the country all in these little pockets. Mm -hmm. Um, There is a thought, there is a ideal out there that what if we wasn't so spread out? What if we were more centrally consolidated and located? What if, you know, um, you know, you think about the great migration of the early 1900s and late 1800s, where after, you know, slavery was deemed illegal, you know, a lot of black folks who were situated in Mississippi, in Louisiana, in Georgia, in Alabama, in South Carolina, on up the coast to Maryland, Delaware, so on and so forth. Uh, we moved away from those areas and moved into the Chicago's, into the Detroit's, into the Indianapolis, Ohio, and moved out west. What if there was something called a reverse migration to where we all started to kind of migrate back down to areas like Jackson, Mississippi, because there are opportunities like this big tech hub in Jackson, Mississippi, because Atlanta, Georgia is the leading area for black tech innovation, because Georgia has now started to realize that with the number of people there, if they got more involved in voting, we could turn a state you know, from Republican to Democratic based on how black people primarily vote. Right. Mm -hmm. What if you could, you know, do this reverse migration? So that all goes back to, you know, there's a book I'm reading called The Devil, You Know, and the author Charles M. Blow actually introduces this idea to where, you know, what if we weren't so wasn't so spread out across the country, if we moved back down to states like Jackson, uh, Mississippi, Jackson specific, you know, Alabama, Alabama, Louisiana, he he lays out like this, you know, group of states to where, you know, just due to demographics, Mm -hmm. you know, we had the numbers to where we could push a lot of these efforts state side because the only thing in the Constitution is states, you know, United States of America, states still control a lot of the resources like mm-hmm. the ability to give uh, Mesifis the ability to actually start this tech hub. That's state controlled stuff. You know, of course, VCs and all this other stuff, they could be anywhere. But, you know, going to a bank, going to the city, going to the state, you know, if there were a large concentration of people in the political realm we know we're sending senators, we're sending governors. We've got all these black mayors to where it wouldn't be so hard for her to jump through all these hoops to get this funding to launch something like this. That would help everybody. That would help everybody. Right. And that's what I, that's what's really baffling. She has the proven, she's proven that she has the capability and the business sense to bring something like this. And it's um, not far fetched because Atlanta's doing it right now. So, you right. know, it's not this brand new thing. Up, and the fact that she put up $500,000, a half a million of her own money to get this deal done for three of the banks in the community where she's trying to help mm-hmm. to, to get turned down. I just, it, 
it's not really baffling, but it's baffling. Right. So it all goes to, you know, um, there's going to come a time where we are going to start to make some moves on our own that will give us better control of our own destiny. So I just think, you know, in addition to, you know, um, uh, moving into and requesting that big companies, in our case, big tech companies, you know, start to provide more equity, start to provide more equality. You know, there's some things that we can do on our own as well to kind of lay our own groundwork, to lay our own foundation. Now, I personally may not directly benefit, but my kids maybe and my mm-hmm. kids, kids to where mm-hmm. they'll be able to pick a city to where they don't have to worry about something as simple as a race being a barrier to entry for anything they want to do, you know, mm-hmm. so. Again, like I said, just a, that's a again, I've been saying it all podcast long. That is a <laughs> that is a discussion for a whole nother time, date and podcast. So we'll just <laughs> leave it at that. Um, I don't have anything for the hookup for this week. Uh, so if you don't have anything else, Nika, I think we're going to end the show on that note. Uh, we want to thank you all for listening. Uh, if you could, uh, please download, rate, and review us. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Like I meant, like Nika mentioned last week, uh, if you could rate and review us, you know that goes a long way to helping us uh, rise up the ranks of these podcast uh, platforms. Uh, if you want to gauge with us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, we are at SnobOSCast. Uh, please watch us on YouTube at SnobOSCast. Of course, if you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to like, rate, subscribe, notification, do all the YouTube things. Um, if you want to leave us comments and suggestions, uh, you can definitely do that. We're on the web at SnobOSCast.com and we're on email at snoboscast at gmail.com of course a huge help would be to support the our show on patreon we are on patreon.com forward slash snoboscast uh you will for as little as five dollars a month get access to all that extra content we have been uh talking about during the regular show you'll get access to the show as it is taped live so you'll get it early and you get access to our snobbest community so we definitely want to uh give a shout out to all our current patreons uh if you don't want to do five dollars a month if you want to do a one-time love offering you can do so via paypal we are at paypal.me forward slash snobos that would go long a long way as well and other than that uh we are done this week so until next week we are out peace